Welcome to the Black Belter Podcast. You are listening to episode 31. Today's guest is Irish sporting legend Michael Carruth. Michael won an Olympic gold medal for Ireland at the 1992 Barcelona Olympic Games. At the time, he was the first gold medal for Ireland since 1956 and he was the first gold medal for Ireland in boxing. Katie Taylor, of course, has since added a second. Michael had a decent professional career, going 18-3 and and falling just short of a world title. Now Michael is the head coach of his lifelong club, Drimna Boxing Club. Today I chat to Michael about his journey to the Olympic gold, the aftermath and how it changed his life, the state of amateur boxing today and more. This episode was a personal favourite of mine and I really enjoyed the stories and Michael tells them incredibly well. As always, make sure to like, share and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. And as always, make sure to share on social media as that really helps the podcast grow. So, hope you enjoy. So, what's up, uh, Mr. Michael Kruitz, or how are you? I'm, yeah, good as I can be. I've had to grow a beard, did you know that? So, uh, I've seen, I've seen. That's my first time in 52 years that I'm old and I've ever had a beard. So, uh, I just got increasingly lazy, I suppose, over the last couple of weeks, like all of us, you know, because it's been crazy, hasn't it? It's just been mad. So, um, yeah, I'm just so, my wife, my wife's fairly talking to me, so it's even better now, you know. So, I think I keep the beard. Yeah, I was going to ask you going to keep it, so I think you've answered that one. <laughs> so she'll probably do it one night when I'm asleep and cut it off. I know, so that's it. So, but uh, listen again, I, I went to the, the golf club last week, and about ten of the lads came in with beards. So we never had beards in their lives. So they're thinking the same thing as me. I think you know. So uh, yeah, I think everybody's had a go at it. Yeah, I think everybody's yeah. had a go at growing that beard, though, hasn't it? It's, it's kind of the thing. Well, it's a, it's a thing I never done. So I just because I was I was always a military man. I was I was in the army for ten years of my life, and I always kind of kept that two or three day uh, was the the most I'd ever not shaved. You know what I mean? So I kind of don't have to worry about that there anymore. You know, but uh, yeah, I was always kind of disciplined that I always shaved once or twice a week. You know what I mean? And so I just said to myself, well, I'm not going to shave for a few a few days and see what this looks like. You know what I mean? And uh, so my wife absolutely hates it, you know, so she said, get rid of it. Yeah, so I'll just annoy her for next week or two. You know, so. <laughs> so it just actually before we hit record there, you were you were talking about like the, the season for the for the schoolboys and the schoolgirls and that like what do you reckon that's gonna happen? Like how how would it usually work in terms of like how would it be spread out and how is it is is it gonna be a struggle to kind of get all that to fit in by the end of the year? Yeah, it's gonna be very, very hard because firstly, you know, we're we're only being told that possibly where we're going to get back in August the 10th is the first training sessions. We're hoping it's going to be earlier than that. But, you know, if you're only going into training sessions in August, the, uh, you know, the, the 10th, really you need six weeks of, of preparation for any boxer of any age, you know, to start getting themselves back into uh, box fitness. You know what I mean? So you can be fit, but there's boxing fitness and it's a total different ball game. Um, you have to be sharp. You have to start accumulating lots of rounds of sparring and, and pad work and things like that. Are we going to be allowed to do that in the six weeks of training? You know, so it's going to be so hard for all of our boxers because, they, they, you know, not just the ones in, in, in my boxing club, but throughout the whole country, you know, I say they're all going store crazy that they, they can't go back to their club and, and do a bit of training. Now, a lot of them have been really disciplined and gone and done their, doing their runs and doing their shadow boxing and doing their car like, but, when you get back to the club, the only real difference is going to be is, you you know, you probably can do some skipping. You probably can hit some punch bags. 
and do some shadow boxing in a bigger area, you know. But we're not allowed to spar and work with them, so it's going to be hard how we're going to fit this. Like with any national championship for schoolboys and schoolgirls is a huge entry, and it's it's. I just don't, I can't see it happening this year. I think I think 2020 is just going to have to be wiped off. I'm not basically going to say, no, we'll start back to 2021. Our season really kicks in from January, February, because that's when we have our County Dublin Championships on. People will have their Lancers, their Munsters, their Ulsters, and their Connacks in around the same time. And then we all, a couple of weeks later, again, we all meet up in around Easter time to fight the, the National Championships, which is schoolboy and schoolgirls. And that's gone from schoolboy one to, to you to uh, two. So that's from... 11-year-old up to 16-year-old. So, obviously, we're off, they're off school now. That's a one part. That's a good part of it because they're not going to go back into schools now. But I just can't see that the boxing um, the boxing um, calendar being changed that much. I think we just have to scrap it. No, I really do because I can't see them. I can't see them fit back in. Then, you know, these kids who win these national championships, there's always a reward of going to a European championship, you know? Is in Spain, is in Russia, is in anywhere else. Do you really want to send your child out somewhere out there, you know, maybe with a chance that they'll catch this corona thing, you know? So it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of, I think we, we, we have to, common sense has to prevail and we have to just probably wipe out 2020. Yeah. And like you said, is the, is the plan to still like have those European championships this year? Is that, the, or like, has it been cancelled on that terms, like on that level? Well, nothing has come out from Ayiba at the moment, but, you know, any country in the world, you know, with their own team, you know, Irish team, English team, you know, would you really want to put your child, uh, your, your, your boxer into that kind of danger by putting them into a highly, you know, let's say, for instance, it was in Spain this year. I don't know what the European, European Championships are for school boys and school girls, but Spain has been decimated with this coronavirus, as, as Italy, you know? Mm. So it's... It's going to be very unlikely. And now they're saying any country you go to, you know, you have to spend 14 days in quarantine, you know? So it's anybody coming into Ireland, they have to find two weeks of, of, of saying where you are and what you're doing. So I can't see, I just cannot see any challenges going on. It's going to be particularly harder for our Olympic boxers because, again, they, they were only just started um, trying to qualify. And literally the next night it was called. You know I mean, they were over in London. Uh, young Erwin had qualified for the Olympics and I think we had three going in the next day and then they, they called the championship. It was called off, you know what I mean? So, and we had a real good chance there with three of them qualifying and I think Kelly Hannon was one of them. And, um, but it's, it, it is what it is, you know, safety has to, has to prevail. So it's gonna, it's not, it's not just boxing. It's every, everything, you know what I mean? You can, but you can see, like boxing is a contact sport. Saliva is going to swap. Sweat is going to swap. You know, so there's every chance of your your opponent having this, he's going to give it to you. Yeah. You know? So it's uh, it's one of those things we have to be very careful. Yeah, it's the contact sports. I think definitely like like boxing and any other any other combat sports, anything like that. They're always good. They're going to be the last ones to come back. They're going to be the most affected because you just can't social distance really. Yeah, but the amazing thing about that is, are you telling me soccer is not a contact sport? Yeah. You know? Yeah, of course yeah. it is. You know, but you know, unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, it's the the Premier League is going to start back next weekend. So, are you telling me they're not going to put the tackles in? What they, they normally put the tackle in, or you know, drag your man by the hair? Or, well, you know what I'm saying. But yeah. it's uh, 
again, it's it's the world we live in, and money talks and bullshit walks. You know, the Premiership will pay for the the, the testing for the the players all the time, and where other sports won't be able to afford that. You know, so it's uh, it's it's one of those um, taboo questions again. You know, but uh, I'm going. I'm looking forward to the Premiership being uh, back as well because I'm a Liverpool fan and I've been waiting a long time. <laughs> so uh, just two more wins and we've got it. <laughs> so I'm sure you Man United up players up because I noticed you with that little. Look to the sky there, you. I say you're Man United, eh? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. I'd much rather to be heading into the preseason and and looking at some new signings at a and at a tour in America or something than to be watching Liverpool win the league. But you know the thing where it's as well, like people have to get back to head the head, you know. So it's uh, it's a, it's an industry that that thing, you know. Obviously the Premier League, so it's uh, you know, Leeds have been waiting to come up for the last twenty years into the Premier League again, you know. So when you look at the championship as well so it's uh it's not just liverpool winning the title it's you know who's going to get relegated and who's going to come up you know which is a huge huge thing for them as well so but um, you'd like to think liverpool will win it because it's it's you know really also eight games left and i think they only need six points and that's where without man city dropping points you know what i mean so they have to win every every game city you know so but i can't see that happening no, it's definitely going to be liverpool's but, but like i don't think like, i saw something a few weeks ago is that the 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 leagues that require that and they're uh they need that need the big money that are ran off the big television money they're all the leagues that haven't been cancelled all the leagues that don't rely on big television money were all called off you know so I think that yeah, like, it's, hmm. yeah it's crazy it just is and like to be honest it's uh you know you you look at other other sports and I like, I'm only want to talk about my sport which is obviously boxing uh, but it's it's hard for sports it's hard for clubs to survive this. As well, we've we've lost two boxing clubs already. Uh, have, have gone into liquidation because of they can't afford it. Because most of the clubs in this country would be solely relying on subs coming in from the kids. You know what I mean? And so I think there's a I think it was Tullo and uh, Saint Teresa's in Bray uh, have have stopped trading because they can't afford it. They still have to pay their rent and. Their, electricity bills and whatever else it is without, without money coming in it's, it's hard for them so I would say you know boxing we want to get it back up and running soon because a lot more clubs could be under under severe pressure as well yeah and like that then like as with some a lot of these clubs like the, they offer they offer a lot to the community so then like to to just go missing then you know like where do those kids that were in the boxing club what do they start what do they go into do yeah. they go into, into does they start getting into trouble or, or what you know that's the first thing, yeah. That's just what you always think about, like that, 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 that the lightning around with the wrong people, and um, you know, you like to think that you know what boxing does bring to kids and to anybody, it brings discipline, and they, you know, they have that uh, with them as well. Then, so you'd like to think that they wouldn't be getting into trouble and that they'd be, they'd be just anxious to get back to the, to their clubs. And um, unfortunately, that's not doesn't apply to everybody. So it's it's one of those to build things. There's not enough. I suppose um, money in Ireland, you know, to be looking after every boxing club or every GAA club or every rugby club or soccer club, you know. So it's unfortunately that's the way it goes. But when you look at other things like dance schools as well, they're all going to be they're the same. It's contact, so there's not a little to do it, you know. So it's um, it's going to be tough now in, in the next couple of months again for you know to to get some kind of normality back. Yeah, hope. I just have to hope we get there fairly fast. I suppose fairly soon, but um. We're taking a bit more onto yourself and your own kind of right. story and that. Um, I, 
how did you get how did you get started in boxing? Well, how, how did the journey start? My dad was coach at Greenhills Boxing Club. Um, I live in I was born in Greenhills. I was born in in the house of my mother and father, uh, or or living uh, myself and my two brothers. We were born on the ninth of July, nineteen sixty-seven, up in the, in the top room in the house. You know, and uh, my father was my father met my mother through boxing because he used to hang around with these lads called the Humpstons and um, they were part of a boxing club called St. Francis Boxing Club in Usher Key. And my grandfather was the secretary or something like that. He was a grumpy old baldy old man like me. And um, <laughs> he didn't like my dad. You know, he didn't like my dad because my dad was, uh, my dad used to hang around with the brothers. And then my dad discovered that they had, that's the, the brothers had a, had a, a good-looking sister, you know, and that's how it kicked off. They they start going out together, and they eventually got married and what have you. And we were born, as I said, nineteen sixty-seven. And my dad was the coach of Green Hills Boxing Club then at that time, and it was like anything else. You, you really you just followed your dad and whatever you done. I'm, I'm only I'm cracking up. He never got me into golf quicker. You know what I mean? But uh, the uh, boxing was the chosen thing because my uncle Martin, my mother's brother. He was the first light middleweight champion of Ireland back in 1951. And he won the elite championship. And so that was always kind of the slag as well, because when we got when we got into the boxing, you're not as good as your uncle Martin. You're not as good as your uncle Martin. That's how <laughs> I forgot. You know? and, and I won, I remember winning my first league and my first all Ireland championship. I came in and the biggest champion thing you can win is the biggest in the world. It's an all Ireland title, you know. And I said to my mum, as good as my Uncle Martin, and she says, no, she bloody absolutely flattened me, you know, and, I, I turn, and my dad's even looking at her, what are you doing there, you know, and, and he only ever won one title, this guy, one national title, I won me second, I won me third, I won me fourth, I won me fifth, I won whatever, whatever, and melt them. I think I, I, I finished on 14 national titles, so I won a bronze medal at the World Championships, and I always come back with this question, am I as good as my Uncle Martin? And she go now, and then I was coming down the steps from Barcelona with the Olympic gold medal, and then I'm kind of fast forwarding. But uh, she said to me, "I said to her, am I as good as my uncle Martin?" And she says, "You are now." And I said, "Ma, no, I'm not." I said, he, "I said he's as good as me." I said, "It was a bit of crack, you know, because it was something that pushed me all my life, you know." So yeah, we we started in Green Hills Boxing Club. I think we were around seven years old. Um, we started training. I had my first fight at seven years old, uh, a few months later, against a guy from Denar Boxing Club, and I won it. And it, it just started from there. It really did. And I was kind of lucky as well, because Martin and William, my two triple brothers, were there as well. So we, we didn't need company, but we obviously befriended people and you know got to know people as well. And and then we just turned into a force now. It, it just started from there. So it was... Yeah, it was one of those type of things. We were playing soccer, we were playing GAA, you were doing boxing. And then when it got to a stage in your life and around 13 or 14 years old, you really have to make a decision which one you're going to do. You know, And it was a no-brainer with me. I was winning all Ireland titles at that stage. And boxing was always going to be my, my choice. Yeah, was it? I'd say, I would assume with uh, two other brothers, all the same age, you know, uh, it was a sporting mm-hmm. madhouse. Yeah, my brother Austin was it was uh, boxing as well at the time as well. My older brother, so he was in the club as well. And then uh, a few years later, Fergal, my younger brother, joined as well. So 
it was only about four of us ever any ever time because Austin went in and out box very quick and then Fergie came in. So, you know, it was a good thing as well that in schools where I did, you picked on one of us, you had to fight the three of us, you know? So yeah. we didn't bring our boxing into it, but they knew what we could do with our hands. So we didn't get into too much trouble, you know? So if we got into a fight, somebody else started. It wasn't us because we, as I said, yeah, boxing brings you a, a huge discipline in your life as well. So, uh, and then as I said, they hit one of us, they nearly had to hit the three of us. You know what I mean? So, so we were, we were kind of uh, untouchable. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so, so we, we got into trouble, but we got into trouble. Don't worry about it. Uh, so, uh. Yeah, sure. that doesn't everyone, don't, don't, boys will be boys, I suppose, is the thing, isn't it? That's exactly it. You know, so we just, yeah, we just, you know, we good mates as well. And, you know, boxing was, you know, back in the day, it was, you know, it wasn't, I suppose, we get a great endorsement of boxing every year, every four years. It's called a little thing called the Olympic Games, you know. And we've been doing so well over the last couple of years. And the amount of people who probably wouldn't have took up boxing, only that they looked at either me into television or, or Katie Taylor or Kennedy Egan or guys like that and started the giant boxing. So we're hoping that, you know, the next next generation again, you know, is, is going to be even better. You know what I mean? And that's what you hope for. Yeah. And so like then, well, when would you have started then boxing for boxing for Ireland? Would it have been the same as you mentioned before? Like when you win the nationals, you would have got to go to the European Championships. Would it, would it have been the same or? No, it's not. No, no, no. Like when you're by one, by two, which is eleven or twelve, you can be going to championships at that stage now to the Europeans and World Championships. I was, I think, sixteen when I was got first selected for boxing. I was youth boxing, and there was a youth championships in Romania. 1986, I think it was, and um, that was my real first uh, trip abroad for um, Ireland, you know what I mean, and then um, we didn't do too good, we didn't win a medal and we didn't win very hardly at 40, but uh, I think there was five or six of us on the team, but then it gives you a desire, I always remember looking at this guy, and it was a world championship, and I think he was, he was from Japan or somewhere in, in that region, you know, and I was looking at the size when he's like a little Hulk. Like they want to see the definition of him. And I'm looking at him. And I said, "Yeah, he could be my weight." And like, and all of a sudden, I just—he was a stone lighter than me, you know. And I said, "It was a real wake-up call to me." I said, "Because if you want to make it, I says you're gonna have to start getting yourself in better shape and what have you." And it was a real wake-up call at 16, and, and I started. And although I was winning everything in Ireland, I said, "If I have to do it internationally, I'm gonna to have to up the grade again," you know. And that's what I did. I just started pushing myself to the limits. You know? Yeah. We see that like, just in my own sport, like uh, in Taekwondo, that the first time, you know, you get 14, 15 and you go to a European or World Championships and it's kind of a, it's an eye opener. It's because you've only been exposed to competition in Ireland and then you go to the biggest level and you see guys from other countries and what they're able to do and the, the training and you just see the, the difference and you kind of, it's either make or break then, isn't it? It's kind of, you, you go, right, that's what I have to do or you I, go, I'm not this, up for that. This my, my weight are, are heavier than me and then I found out he was stone lighter than me you know and I go how the hell is he stone lighter than me you know and I swear to God he was chiseled like you know as the elf saying a, a, a Greek Adonis you know what I mean and uh, the six pack and the you know unreal like his physique was and it was just and as I said it was a, a real learning curve and a wake up call you know that we have to push ourselves even harder in Ireland yeah and so did like five wasn't is that kind of the same size of teams like five people is that a small team a big team like what, what was it yeah, a small team again again money wasn't readily available 
you know, we weren't getting grants and things like that from the sports councils and things like that. Again, we were solely dependent on our own boxing association. And uh, so with that, I think, yeah, I think it was only five of us went to that, that, that junior world championship in, in, um, in where was it? Where did I was? It was in Romania. Holland, uh, Romania, was it? Romania. Romania. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, so it was uh, one of those, um, yeah, but you know, again, it was a different, it was a different thing for us as well. The heat over there as well was, we didn't get it in Ireland. You know what I mean? And oh my God, we were torturing. You know what I mean? It was, uh, and again, it was things you had to, you know, had to adapt to it as well. So, and that was really the, the first. That was my first international call up. And then, eighteen, I went, I went to Lee, I went boxing. I, I won my first national title at nineteen at uh, the Elite Championships. I got picked to go to America. I got picked, to, you know, other things as well. But the main focus for me was <clears throat> the Olympic Games. So I've always wanted to go to the Olympic Games. After my first fight, I said to my dad, I was going to go to the Olympic Games. I want to go with medal, you know. And he goes, you're daft, you know. And, he, and I said, he said, well, then do me a favor. I said, well, make me a promise, he says. I said, I promise you, I'm going to win the Olympic Games. I said, and lo and behold, we went and done it, you know what I mean? And the two was in the corner, which is even better. Yeah, so, but uh, yeah, boxing back in the day again, in, in you know, when I was in the 80s and, you know, 80s, you did, we didn't get too many trips. And, you know, you got, you done a lot of boxing at home. You done a lot of around the country boxing. You go to Wexford or Cork or Belfast or places like that, you get fights and things, or they come to you, you know. And then, as I say, when I started making a mark in Irish boxing, then I went crazy amount of I think I went three or four years without the fee and people then were getting to know you know here's this group group kid he's good let's have a look at him you know and then you see people jumping out your weight quicker as well that they wouldn't weigh in for your weight what weight's Michael do and, and my dad get phone calls all the time when a championship was coming what weight's Michael do you know and people were avoiding me which I always felt you want to be the best you have to be the best you know so it was one of those type of things now I'm not I'm saying I, 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 could, I could have lost some of those fights uh, because, you know, the, the, the talent was still great there, but sometimes they made it easier for me by jumping out of my weights, you know, so, but um, and that was them, not me, you know, so I can only, I can only make myself as good as I can, you know, so. Yeah, and so I suppose I kind of nearly forgotten that you, you went to the Olympics in, in 88, in, in Seoul. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> how, how was that experience? Terrible. I got beat in my second fight. I got uh, I was pushed in the weight. I was I was in a, a lightweight category, which is nine stone six. And if I could have, I would I would have gone at ten stone. I would have been better at ten stone. I was just on the limit of that nine six, and I was I was crucifying myself to make the weight. And I was walking around a day or two before you know the fight in sweatsuits trying to lose the weight. And I was up the night before, couldn't go sleep. You know, melt was dry. You know, can't take a drop of water because you're going to make the weight the next morning. And I dehydrated. I boxed a guy called George Grammy in my second fight in the Olympics in Seoul. And I'd been this guy already six months previous in the Copenhagen Boxing Cup final. And I, gave him a, I gave him an absolute hammering. And uh, I got smacked. I got a smack in the first round. I went down. I didn't know where to. I was, you know, and uh, I said, what happened here? I've never been down in my life, I said, you know, and it was because I, I made the weight so bad, and uh, 
the referee stopped the fight. And my dreams were gone, shattered in, in a heartbeat. He went on and got a silver medal, he did. He got beaten by the German, um, Andrews Otto, now Zulu. And um, I was ready to give up the game at 21 years old. Uh, I, I promised me that an Olympic gold medal. Uh, I I got it all wrong. I got it so wrong with the way it was, un, was unreal. You know I mean, and... Hindsight is a great thing. If I'd have known, I would have gone into the ten stone category rather than nine stone six, and I probably would have done a lot better. You know, four years later, I'm a little bit older. I'm a little bit wiser. I'm a lot better on the way. I actually moved up two weight categories, up to light welterweight after the Olympic Games in '88. I won a world bronze medal in in Moscow, and that was a real learning thing for me as well that I could compete with their world and I could you know I could get there I got beaten on a, a tight decision against a guy who I then later returned to fight or returned to he beat me but then I got him in the Olympic quarterfinals and I beat him you know so um but it was a huge confidence booster for me that I could go to a world championships and come back with a with a medal and I could you know I could co- compete with all these elite lads and we weren't in we hadn't got the elite uh, training facilities that we have now. You know, we I trained out at Trimlet. You know, I trained under the guidance of my father. But you know, to me, he was the best coach in the world. And but with that, it taught us one thing as well that we we you know we're Irish. We we never give in. You know, we just have to have the skills that the others have. And I was always a stylish southpaw. You know, people always expect that oh, you get the Irish, you're going to have a hard fight. He's going to maul you and roll you, but they didn't expect I could box. I could. I was a counter-punching fighter, you know. I, I, I preferred the opponent to come to me rather than me go to the opponents, you know. So, but uh, winning the bronze medal was a huge thing for me as well because it gave me a belief in myself again. And then I had to, I, I won the, I, sorry, I got the bronze medal. I came home from that. And then everything was really geared back to, to try to qualify for, for Barcelona. Three years later, yeah. And so, was the qualifying was that was that kind of was that a similar path to qualification back then as it is now? Yeah, you had to you had to call it like there's there was European Championships, there was World Championships, and then there was multi nations. So that was the way you could qualify through it. And um, see, I went through that kind of dilemma as well because in 1991 I broke both my hands and um, bought my left hands and then about my right hands. And I brought my elbow, and I was on the gymnastics team in the army. And uh, all of a sudden, they're, they're, they're diagnosing me with brittle bone syndrome or osteoporosis or something. It's called. Yeah. And I was, what's happening to me? Every time I threw a puncher, I broke something. You know what I mean? And uh, it was getting really, and it was getting close to you know national. I got beaten by Billy Walsh in '91. On a tight, tight decision, I won it. I don't give a crap. I won that fight, hands down. You know, and I've watched it a million times. Still won it. You know, so watched it without commentary. Still won it. You know, and uh, and you watch a fight without commentary. Do you know why? Because you're not swayed by by the commentator. You know, so and I watched it like that, and uh, I got myself ready then for '91 and '92. I was the four billion ninety one. I got beaten on a tight decision. Then it went all pear shaped for me. I started breaking my hands left, right, and centre. And 
I was to go through the Billy went to the European Championships in 1991 in Sweden, where our own Paul Griffin from German Boxing Club won the gold medal, which meant he qualified for the Olympic Games. Um, Billy didn't qualify over there, and I was hoping he didn't. You know, I had the voodoo dollar sticking pins in him, and uh. So with that, I then got, I had another chance. They decided that I was going to go to the World Championships ahead of Billy, me being the uh, reign bronze medalist champ in, in 89. And a week before I was to go out there, I brought my left hand, sparring down in, down in, uh, down in, uh, in Wexford, of all places, where Billy's from. Uh, no, sorry, he was in Trotter, sorry. And... Um, I, I just felt what was going wrong here. Like it was a week before we were to fly out to Australia to go to World Championships. I actually rang Billy and told him to get himself training. He got a week to get ready for the Championships and he did. And he hadn't got enough time. And again, he didn't qualify. So he'd gone to two qualifying um, stages and couldn't qualify. And then 92 came along. We had our national championships in January. I only got my plaster taken off two days before Christmas and I had my first fight on the 10th of January. I think about that, all right? So I then, won, I, got, I got through to the final and I beat Billy Walsh in the final. And then the IABA done a dirty on me and they made me fight again two weeks later. And I boxed off and I boxed the, uh, I boxed the ears off because Billy had put weight on and he'd stop training and say, uh, you know, given the weeks now, it was where I was still training and I beat him 24, six or something was the score. And I get, I gave my hiding. I really did. And I then had the chance to qualify for, to go to the, the qualifiers for, uh, in Italy. And I went and I qualified the last place for Barcelona. And, uh, it was a lovely phone call to my father, you know, that I rang him and they're all, they couldn't see you. We don't live in this world. Well, this world now, 20 plus years ago, that did I do something there? Uh, you're all good. I, I don't know if there's something there I can't see. I, I'll, I'll just check this. So, sorry. Um, I qualified and I, I I got to make a phone call to my dad and they're all nervous in the house and they're waiting for the result. And he says, well, I said, well, I said, can I ask you a question? I said, he said, yeah. He says, do you still have that bottle of champagne in the fridge? I said, he says, yeah, I do. He says, he says, why? I said, you know what that said? I'd have a glass of that tonight. I said, he says, why? I said, I've just qualified for my second Olympics. I said, yeah. And he wasn't a man to show too much emotion or jump all over the place. And when he came out, he was scratching his head. Like, you know, and when he was scratching his head, there was always something wrong. And my mom said, well, he's tried his best. He's done better than that. He's after, he's after qualifying for the Olympics. And all the brothers and sisters jumped all over the place like, like I'd won the Olympics, you know? And um, so lo and behold, I got home a few days later and boxing took a back seat. For once, I, was get, I got married in April. I qualified in, in March and I... I got married in April and Billy Walsh was my first person I invited to my wedding. So Billy, I obviously have to take that away from him. And uh, so Billy came up to the wedding and we had a great, we had a great time. I couldn't go on a honeymoon because we were going into camp then for Barcelona in May. And we, I brought Paul away to a lovely place called Liverpool for the weekend. And uh, I brought it to a football match. Liverpool played Man United and beat them. And, uh, 
and then the Grand National was on that weekend as well. It was amazing, amazing weekend over Liverpool, and um, and then we um, we got into training camp for for Barcelona, and you know, you know, when the qualifiers, you know, yes, they're as, they're as equally as hard as they were back then as they are now. So really, it works on two two major championships, which is the European or the World, and you have to qualify in a certain, you know, either semi-finals and things like that. And then there's normally a multi-nation somewhere. And mine was a multi-nations in Italy in a place called San Palermo. And as I said, I qualified the last fight. You know, so I was, it was a box off and it was between me and a French guy called, guy called Said Benjamin was his name. And I boxed really well. You know, and you know, when you're boxing well, you know you're boxing well, and you know you're ahead. And I kind of knew what he was doing before he knew what he was doing, you know. So I, I won the fight clearly and easily and it was it was a great fight for me as well. And then what happened as well, this say Benjamin made it to the Olympic Games, even though I beat him. He was on the first he was the first reserve. So if anybody got injured or pulled out, he was brought in. And he actually qualified for the Olympic Games, which made it even better for me as well because he got the fight Juan Hernandez Sierra in his first or second fight, I think it was. And I beat him by about a score of 10 points, uh, Benjamin. And I think Hernandez only beat him by about four points. And I said, anything that gives you a heads up, and you know what I'm talking about, anything you like, wearing your socks the same way or, you know, wearing a T-shirt that you wear underneath your jumper or you're underneath your... You know, that it gives you a good look. You know how superstitious most um, sports people are. I said, well, geez, I'm not beating him more than he did me when obviously when we get to the final here, you know what I mean? So it was one of those type of things. And once I seen that, well, I'd be him on a bigger score, you know? So that was it. So the, the boxing then, Barcelona was was obviously one of our, our greatest moments, if not our greatest moments. Um, it was a type of thing, you know, it was brilliant in the sense that the, the only two surviving members of the team from the 88 Olympics was Ray McCullough and Michael Carruth, you know? And it's kind of fitting that the two of us won the medals in Barcelona and, and, and the two of us get to the final, which was crazy, two Irish boxers in the final and fighting two Cubans, which is even crazier again. And Hernandez would, like, if someone had to give me 10,000 quid to bet on somebody winning the Olympics, I would have bet on him, you know, to win the Olympic gold medal, you know. I didn't think I'd be him in a final, you know what I mean? But uh, so it's lot, it's the way it went, you know. So it was, it was a good time. Yeah, like, I think that's that's the one thing, and I suppose that I, I would assume is even, you know, something that even makes it even better is the, the, the tradition that the Cubans have in Olympic boxing, in, especially in amateur boxing. So to, so to beat a Cuban, in an Olympic final, uh, like, you know, it's it's everything you'd want. It's it's a Liverpool Man United situation in FA Cup, isn't it? It's Liverpool beating United or United beating Liverpool. It's if it's a World Cup, it's Brazil versus who could you say is the second best in the world? We could say Italy or France or mm. something like that, or even Argentina. Yeah. So it's it's yeah, it's one of those you know. Well, you don't really want to be fighting a Cuban in an Olympic final. You know, I mean, let's be honest. You know, so and. And like he was huge, he was the size of a bloody the building, you know. Like he was six foot three, and I'm five foot eight, you know. What I mean? And he had all the advantages, but the biggest advantage he had as well was I broke my hand in the first fight, my left hand, and I broke my right hand in the third fight. 
So I went into the Olympic final with Tommy Hasbrook. And not many people know that, you know. So it was it was kept secret, you know. We had to keep it secret. So when you were getting your medical done in the in the daytime and the morning time, the, the, the doctor would be doing all this, this and you'd be, and you'd be crying, you know, with the pain, but you couldn't let let on that he you were you were hurt because you'd be pulled straight out. And uh, it was one of those moments that I said to my dad, the final at the Olympic, the Olympic final morning, we done our weigh in, and I said, you better tell mom my hands are broken. I said. He says, do you really think I need to do that? I said, I think you should tell her. I said, yeah. Oh. Okay, you only get a lot of trouble if she finds out. I said, you know, all my brothers now, none of my sisters now. So that morning we said, all right, I've done my way in, came back, had my breakfast. We went to the office. We said, we'll make a phone call to my man. And I said to my dad, you're going to tell her? And he says, yeah, absolutely. So he's on the phone to her. He said, how's things? He said, yeah, how's he? Yeah, you know him. He has his earphones on. He's playing music and... You know where he's like, nothing rattles him, you know? So he says, he's actually got something to tell you, John. You know? And I looked at him, get dirty ratchet, I says. You know, so all of a sudden, I told her my hands were broken. And it was this early silence. And she says, Michael, she says, well, put your dad back on the phone, will you? And I says, no, man. I said, I'm fighting this fight today. Nothing has stopped me today, I said. This is my destiny, I said. So lo and behold, I hung up her. And he says, well, I said, you're dead, I says, you know. And he says, you wouldn't mind getting me over, would you? I said, I'll try my best for you, I says, you know. So then, obviously, we all know the fight. The fight went according to plan. We, we, we did actually the way we wanted it. He, he thought initially I was going to go to him because I was smaller and he was taller. And we played the other, the other game. We brought him to me, into my range. We're two southpaws. So the two of us lead were our right hands. And my right hand was faster than his right hand. And uh, I, I do what I do best. I get ahead and I stay ahead, you know. And that's what I've done the whole fight, you know. Although we were level going into the last round, <clears throat> I got a public warning in the second round for holding. And that gave him three scores. But it also told me, I'm scoring more than him. If he, if he hadn't got that public warning, I'd be three points ahead of him at this stage, you know. And then I think the first minute of the last round, I became the Olympic champion because he came at me because he was getting an absolute going over from his, his coaches in the corner. Well, you're letting this little Irish fella beat you. You know what I mean? What the hell? And he fell into the trap. Come on, come on, at me, come at me. And I hooked him and I hooked him and I hooked him. And I caught him three lovely hooks in a row. And it was brilliant as well that there was about 4,000 Irish people in the arena because Salou was not too far away from Barcelona if, you, if you've been around there. And Everybody came up to watch the fights, you know, and try to get into the Olympic final. So anytime I even threw a punch and missed even, they still applauded it, you know, and screamed for it, you know. So I was kind of getting getting to the judges as well, you know. We will bring it to the judge, we'll bring it to the judge guy, you know. And but the most important thing at the end of the fight is the boxers always know who wins and who loses. And you look at my celebration and you look at his glum face, he knew he was beaten. Yeah. I knew I'd won. Yeah, and I'm not telling you what a lie Jamie. If I had not got the if I had not got the decision, I would still have class myself as Olympic champion because I knew I won that fight and he knew he lost. You know, yeah. and we had the best judges out there. You know, and then I kind of had even rehearsed the night before how I was going to celebrate, believe it or not. You know, and not that I'm over religious or anything. Like that I was going to get on and bless myself 
And that kind of went out the window when your man tried to lift my arm up. And I don't know if you ever, in, in boxing, the referee normally has a good hold of your hand. And you have one. But if you haven't one, he's barely even holding it. You know? And he's barely holding my hand. And I go, here, hold that bloody arm, you, you said. And uh, lo and behold, he, he did. And it was announced in Spanish. And then I felt my arm going up. And I think he got to about there. And then I just went crazy. I don't know if you've heard, you have seen my celebration. You know? yeah, so yeah. I jumped and I hit every rope. And I'm only glad that the ropes were there because I'd have done some damage. And and then I said, you know, again, I'm going to go back to that discipline side of it. It was, I said, what are you doing, you big age? You jump around like a bloody peacock here. You know, fellas have to lose him. And I copped on. I went over to him. I shook hands with him. I shook hands with his car. And I went over and gave me dad a hug. And it was crazy it was just crazy i was i was if you watch me on the on the podium i'm surely i really think i'm suffering a shock on the podium because it was just like all these cameras are on me that's that's the tricolor going up there you know they're playing around the vein you know what i mean i stood to attention because as a soldier i don't have you even noticed that i got put the flowers down by my side and and then that was it. I, 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 my dad said to me as well in the corner, I promised him I'd win the Olympics. And he asked me to make that promise. And he said, thanks. I said, for what? And I forgot about that seven years old. And I said, for what? He says, for keeping your promise, he says. You know? So then you don't feel the hands when they're broken. You know, when you win. Yeah. The adrenaline that's going through, you don't feel anything, you know. And we got back into the dressing room and it was a great moment because we got the whole team together. And we kind of got in a, a huddle with six boxers who were over there from Ireland and we just kind of went ballistic in the toilet. And then a, a certain fella called George Foreman knocked on the door. He wanted to come in. And I met George four years earlier in Seoul. I was at the getting beaten and I'm at the walk around the corner and I bump into this big, large black man. And, and being the dub that I am, I told him, out my way, you know what I mean? And then I looked up and I went, oh, God, I'm picking a fight with George Foreman, I said, you know. He says, what's wrong with you, son? I says, I'm at the losing me fight. Oh, we have to lose something to win some, he says. I said, not me, I said. He said, what's me, not you? I said, my name is Michael Quilt. I'm from Ireland. I'm going to win the Olympic Games, I says. You know? And he must have thought I was Lala. You know? And all of a sudden, Foreman goes to all the the boxing finals that you can go to his good friends, Arnold Schwarzenegger. And he was at the arena in Barcelona as well. And the fight comes up and my name comes up and Michael Curley goes, I met this kid four years ago. He was saying to Arnold, I said, what? He says, he told me he's going to win the Olympics. And Arnold says, he's fighting Cuba, he says. He's no chance, he says. You know? So lo and behold, we got back down to the dressing room and it was crazy. It really was because when you're in, the, in this kind of all of a sudden, you're in a you're in a bubble, you know. And I threw water on my face. It has that's water. That's definitely water. I'm not dreaming. And I said, "Swear to God, I'm not dreaming." I'm threw my water on my face, and that's they hit me. I can feel. It, I can taste it, you know. And then Paul Budimer came in, and you know those little pinches under your arm. You get one of those little pinches. And I went, "What's your effort?" He said, "Did you feel that boy?" Because he's from Cork. I said, God, I felt it, you little shit. What you doing after? He says, you're not dreaming, boy. You're not dreaming, he says. You know? and, and that's when the rest of the lads came in and we done the cuddle and the whole thing. So all of a sudden, I went back into the dressing room and I put a towel on my head. And I just, I was just trying to soak it up. I wasn't like, you know, I was getting the sweat out of me as well. And there was a knock on the door and someone came in and Putsy said, I think we better let these two in. And it was Arnold Schwarzenegger and George Foreman. And 
George was talking to my father. And I still had the towel over my head and I didn't look up and this is he says, uh, this kid told me four years ago he was going to win the Olympics. And I go, who the hell is this? I said, and then my dad said, well, he's been telling me since he was seven years old he's going to win. You know? So also the towel came off my head and there's George Farmer right in front of me. Right? And what did I say to him? What are you doing oh, in here? Right? <laughs> <laughs> I told you. He says, ah, yes, you did, he says. And we actually, we've become good pals over the years as well. He'd been out of the world a few times promoting his fat reducing grill and things like that as well. But, you know, you say to yourself, and all of a sudden, is my life ever going to be the same again now? Because when all of a sudden, George Farmer and, and Arnold Schwarzenegger coming into the dressing room, you know, where after the last fight, they'd never come in, you know? And um, it was a huge, huge, again, changing point in my life, you know? And you have to adapt to it as well because, like, people think you can. It's like microwave fame. It's it's instant. You know what I mean? And it's it's hard. You know, and your your privacy and everything else that you know. All of a sudden, everybody knew who Michael Crook was. You know, nobody knew who Michael Crook was except the boxing people going over to, to Barcelona. You know, when everybody knew who Michael Crook was when they came back from Barcelona. You know, and I suppose okay. Come the come the spoils, come the you know the riches as well. But it was one of those things that listen, I fulfilled my lifelong dream. I became the Olympic champion. Yeah. So, like, what was it like then when you got back to Ireland? Because I was, imagine it a was bit a, mad, oh, a whirlwind. It was mad. Yeah, it was crazy. And we got in, we got in late on a, I think it was Monday night. We got into Dublin, and I said, this, and Wayne McCullough says to me, "Is that? You think there's going to be anybody here?" And I go, "I said it's one o'clock in the morning." I said. Everybody's going to work tomorrow. What a chance. And then we're going to get off the plane on it. And you could just see silhouettes of people's, you know, in the and, and thankfully, thankfully they got the the, the uh, camera off me because I said to him, the whole effing country's here. I said to him, you know, and he says, I looked, oh my God, what kind of numbers, Michael? You're the captain. You're doing all the speeches. You're doing all the speeches, he says to me. You know, Wayne didn't like talk and media time and what have you and uh you're the you're the captain you're the captain that's it you're doing everything so we got into the we got into the the um airport and they pushed me and my wife paul into this kind of i can only describe it as a room cupboard right and i go what the hell is telling me in here for you know just for to have a few minutes on our own and uh i said what's happening she said michael the whole country nearly here she says and I said, holy moly. And then the T-shirt was there at the time, which was Bertie Aaron. And he'd done a few, um, he'd done a speech and the odd build him. And <laughs> I didn't want to hear the politicians talking. They wanted to hear me talk and Wayne talk and, and, and captains and managers and what have you. And we'd done that. And then I said, I just wanted to go home to my own house, myself and Paula. And all of a sudden then we're brought to the, the, which hotel did he bring us in the house cross? I think it was the Burlington. It's gone now. And we're in the best room in the Burlington. And I'm saying to myself, holy moly, you know, like all of a sudden it changes your life, you know, and you're in the best room. And and I said, what's happening? He says, there's going to be a parade through Dublin the next day. And I go, what? And I says, yeah. He says, but it's Tuesday. This one people are off work tomorrow. It's like they have to call them a day off work, and something like I think half a million to a million people turned up. 
uh, to uh, see me and Wayne go through the, the you know, bus stop um, tour, you know, and you're going, and we stopped at the mansion house and there was thousands and thousands of people there. And then they brought me back to Drimna and then eventually back up to my mother and father's house in Green Hills. And there were still thousands of people there. And it was just, I had to climb out, I had to, you know, to get out of uh, my mom's house, I had to climb over back walls and my brother-in-laws were waiting in the back in the laneways to get me back to my own house. And I eventually got back to my own house the um, night after we got back. And it was just crazy from then on because all of a sudden people just knew where I lived and it was just knocking on the door, constant for autographs or photographs or just even a shake of a hand, you know. And I, I never deprive anybody of that, you know what I mean? I just, so but it was absolutely mind-boggling. You know? But it helped as well that I was an identical triplet. So I could get away with things if the travels were there, you know. Tim, 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 yeah. So, so we got away in order with that as well, you know, so. But again, as I say, I, f- I fulfilled my lifelong dream becoming an Olympic champion. So it's, it was a good time. And were you, were you able to kind of even process all that stuff like when it was going on or was it only when you kind of maybe looked back a little bit after to kind of go like what was going on? Yeah, it was kind of like, as I said, you know, 12, six months earlier, you, you know, you're probably, you know, you're training for an Olympic Games and you, you want to go into a pub or something like that or a nightclub. And this happened, myself and Paul had got engaged and they wouldn't let the two of us in for some reason. And I'm not going to give you a name of it. And when I came back after one of the Olympic Games, they, another pub done a big night for me and we said, come on, we go dancing. So we went back dancing to that same nightclub that wouldn't let me in that time, you know. And they told me I wasn't allowed in because my hair was too tight. I was in the army, you know, and I said, hey, it's for real. I said, and, and I'd only probably a drink or two on me at that stage because I wasn't drinking. I wasn't a bit heavy drinker because I was training. And and then all of a sudden, you, you see kind of the hypocrisy of people, you know, that six months earlier, they wouldn't let me in. And then six months later, I'm allowed to order drinks for anybody in the, in the, in the bar, in the, in the, the nightclub, you know, and trust me, everybody in that club got a bloody drink out of me that night, you know what I mean? Because I punished them, and then they give you a lift home, which makes it even more hypocrisy again, you know what I mean? So, but again, I understand it as well. Like, it's fame is fame, mine was instant, you know, and you had to adapt it. Like, Wayne, like Wayne's was like uh, Kennedy Egan as well, and it's how you adapt to it as well because it can get the, it can get the better, yeah, and uh. I'm, I was fortunate. I, I come from a family of 10 kids. I'm seven child born in my family. So I know the pecking order. And it was like, if I was getting out of hand, my siblings would have no problem in telling me, oh, you're playing, I hear you, you dope it, you know? And so it was one of those things. And then the way I always put it, it was, it was only just another fight. That's the way I put it to myself. It was only just another fight. People don't know. It's only just another fight, I said. And it was just only another fight, you know. For, for the best price, I understand that. But I didn't let I didn't let it get to me as well. I didn't say, oh, people don't you're gonna make billions and billions and I never didn't cost me money once, you know. No amount of money ever could replace an Olympic gold medal, you know. And so I didn't look at it that way either, you know, and, and I wanted to get back training and I wanted to, you know, stay boxing and and the only way I could then was to turn professional because I would get robbed in the amateurs. 
Do you know what I mean? I'm never going to stay undefeated as an amateur. So I was going out on a high as an Olympic champion as the amateur. I went into the professional game for six years. I done okay. It wasn't great, but it was wasn't bad. And then I got out of boxing uh, that size. My dad gave me a great bit of advice. Take a bit of time off, he says. You've been boxing since you're seven years old. He said, you know, nearly 30 years old. I don't remember. 33, I think it was at the time. I finished boxing. And I said, what, what do you want me to do? Take a time off and come back and coach in, in the club. And I did. And now I'm head coach of the Boxing Club. I was down there today cleaning the place. You know, because uh, we're trying to get get it back up and running quick as we can, like everybody else is. You know, so but again, it was it was great. It was it, listen, it's my proudest day. There's no question about it. It's it's a, it's a day that I don't I, I'll never forget, and I never I'm, I'm never allowed to forget it as well because we always tend to exaggerate sometimes and what well, have you, don't we? You know, we go on about it, but it was a, it was my best day. Yeah, well, well there's we tend to go on about some things. I find you know some of the like I suppose maybe. I was maybe alive, but like you look back and the the storm that would have been around Italia ninety and you know the, what did they go in the quarterfinals and all. It's like so, we, but you know, you won the Olympic gold medal. You know, so it's like it's like sometimes yeah, I'm, sometimes, I'm sometimes you make a big deal of the small things, but you know this is a big thing. You know, it's so it's something that deserves to be a big deal made of it as well. I remember I was slagging Noel Quinn because Quinn and I was from nearly around the same area I was, and we were in the same school for a certain time as well. And he was a year older than me, I think. I always remember. He, he had the same agent as I had, John Gibbons, as then. And I said, where the hell did Jews get civic reception? And he's won nothing, I said. You know? You should only get civic reception when you win something, I said. At least I won something, I said. You just got to the quarterfinals of the World Championships or something and won nothing. He's were beaten, I said. You know? I won oh, nothing, I said. You know what I mean? Prophecy at its finest, I said. You know what I mean? And they, yeah, I agree with what you're saying there. You know, all of a sudden, because somebody finishes, I always remember some of the athletes saying to me, I got me PB, I got me SB, and I go, What the hell is that? Uh, that's my personal best time and my seasonal best time. And I go, Did you win a medal? And I go, No, oh, what are you talking about? You know, that's just no point in me fighting great and losing. Yeah. You lose, you know. So I said, Okay, you know, and they were they were happy enough with their PB or their SB, and no way would I be happy with that. I'd be happy with winning. And that's all I'm ever happy with, you know. And I think we have to. Get, I think we've got that kind of mentality now that we can complete compete with the best and and beat the best. You know, what I mean, probably not in soccer just yet. Again, you know, but pretty GAA, you know, harder than. And Gaelic football wasn't an Olympic sport, isn't it? So, um, but it's one of those type of things, you know. But again, I, I, I firmly believe that, you know, I always said to myself, if I'm not my best, I'll take you a great one to beat me, I says, you know. And I was at my best in Barcelona because, firstly, my weight was good. My mindset was even better. And I was as fit as a butcher's dog, you know. And I had my dad in the corner, you know. So all of these little things make the big jigsaw complete. And it truly made the big chunks up. And did, did that even make it even better having your dad in the corner? Because like you said, you, you were saying you oh. had to, for the qualifier, you had to make the call home. But for the Olympics, he got to be there in the corner then. Yeah, he, he was coached for me obviously all my life. But we were in Germany for training camp. He was there. We roomed together. He, be, he was becoming an awful annoyance as well, like having your outfit around you all the time. I was, as I said, the team captain and, 
He used to wake me up around four o'clock in the morning and get me to drink a glass of water. I don't know how many times I didn't try to kill him. You know what I mean? Because you're in the middle of a sleep, you know what I mean? And, and then all of a sudden he has me drink water because he didn't want me dehydrating during the night. But again, the, the morning of the Olympic final, um, we, or sorry, the, the, we were in the dressing room and I got my hand wraps on. And he, it was the, probably the only time he lost it as a, as a coach I've ever seen him, you know? Like, he became my father in Calder rather than my coach. And that was the fourth time I've ever seen him doing that. Uh, and he, he goes, your legs, your legs, your legs, your legs. That's all he kept. He kept hitting me legs. And he says, your legs are going to win it for you. There's nobody better than your feet than you. He says, you yeah. know, your legs. And I said, Ozzy, his name was Austin. I call, we called him Ozzy. I said, Ozzy, fuck off, he says. And I'm sorry for course. Boy, I said, you know, I said, you lose it. Walk out. I said, and come back to me, he says. Yeah. So he came back and he says, mm, yeah. probably did lose it for a few minutes, he says. Yeah. But again, how would you be like in an Olympic final, your son's in the final, and you're the only corner? Yeah. How would you be? You know what I mean? So you'd be terrified that you're giving them the wrong instructions and the, the whole nine yards. So it's, uh, it was one of those things. And as I said, we were walking out of the, out of the dressing room. And that is the scary time, okay? Because you're getting into the ring. The head guard's on. The gloves are on. You can't get them off, you know? Okay? And it is a scary time. And, and then I see him, the cube. And, and oh, Jesus, he's this fella. You know? And you go. And nerves get you. There's no question about it, you know? And I just I looked at my father, and he looked nervous, you know? And he never, never, ever really showed that kind of, you know, trait and what have you. And I said, I said Ozzy. And he goes, what? And I says, Delaney's time is up, I said. He said, what? I said, Ronnie Delaney's time is up, I said. I'm winning this fight today. And he said, every hair in his body stood up, he says, when I said that's one. Right? And Ronnie, I wasn't being disrespectful to Ronnie Delaney. Ronnie was our last winner in 1956. And I said, his time is up. I said, I'm winning this fight, that's I said. And he said to me, Oh my God, he says, what a feeling. He said, well, true me, that my whole body, he says. And uh, it was one of those moments I had, I felt I could do it, you know, and I really did. And uh, we got through, and we, and we got through, and we played a great game of chess. You know what I mean? It was a, we, we, he, as I said to you earlier on in the interview, he thought we were going to go wrong. But we, we brought him to us, you know what I mean? And he was thick enough to stay coming at me, you know what I mean? I frustrated him a few times as well, and... Uh, I hit him a few times where I shouldn't have hit him, and you know he done the same to me. But the referee was picking on me quite a bit. You know? And uh, but then, as I said, he knew he lost. I knew I'd won. You know, and the rest is history. He actually got beaten again in his in the next Olympic final in America against the Russian. He did, and the Russian boxed him the exact same way I boxed him. I thought it was me fighting them again, you know what I mean? The way the Russian boxed them. You know? It was exactly the same way I boxed them. You know? And then he, I think he absconded over to America. He got out of Cuba, but what a fighter. He'd won five world titles as an amateur and never won an Olympic gold medal. He's twice silver medalist. I actually think he got a bronze medal as well, at one of them as well. So he never won it. He must be the greatest Cuban never to win an Olympic final. You know? Which is unreal for them, you know. As you said earlier on, they're a nation of you know pure talent. You know what I mean, and it's the number one sport is boxing. You know, so um, but don't forget we had a Cuban in the corner with us as well, Nicholas Cruz, which was a help to us as well. Nicholas was uh, he was number one coach there, but 
my dad done my corner because that's the way we wanted it, you know, and that's the way I wanted it, and that was the way it happened, you know what I mean? So he was the second, and so my dad was first. Yeah, and so then, like, what was it? How was it? How did you find? I suppose working in the army and and balancing boxing training and, and your fighting career as well. How did you find? It was the army. The lads let me do everything. I was, I was. My, you have an employment in the, in the army. You could be a cook. You could be on the army band. You could be. I was in. I was a PT instructor, so I was working in the gym. So I got time to do my training, um, in the army as well. Um, and they gave me any time I wanted off. If I was going to training camps, if I was going to tournaments, any time you had to deal with, you know, representing Ireland. It was a privilege and honor for them. And then um, my I got a new CEO at the time, a company officer, and uh, he didn't know anything about me um, until I won the gold medal, and then he knew a lot about me. And then the Army then, um, it was crazy because I I fell asleep after the Olympic final. I right? went went to bed. Right? It sounds mad, doesn't it? Yeah. And I had to win in the final and I'm knackered right and I'm at because you're so used to having naps during the day as well right and I had a couple of glasses of beer or champagne earlier and kind of went to my head and because you're, you're so disciplined not to be on obviously that you know and I went to bed and I conked out for about two hours you know and my dad woke me up and he said Carol wake up sergeant wake up sergeant and I go you stupid I'm a corporal he says he says you're not anymore so what do you mean I'm not anymore he says they're promoting you to sergeant tomorrow and I didn't want it uh, because there's a lot of people in the army who've been waiting years to be transferred or promoted to a sergeant. And I did not want it. I wanted to do it the other way. Put my service in as a sergeant or as a corporal and then get a sergeant's uh, stripe. But it was the only way that the army deemed they could reward me or, uh, you know. And lo and behold, the next day, the minister for defence, I can't remember, I think it was Father Andrews, I'm not sure, I'll have to check up. And he said, I think he rang, he rang me the next day. Um, he said, good morning, sir. And he said, you got to officially uh, promote me to sergeant when I return home from the, from the games. You know? And I said, oh. honest to God, I didn't want it. You know? but, but there's nothing I could do. It was the only way they, they deemed they could acknowledge what I'd done. You know? So we went into Cottlebrook Barracks a few days later. And my mate, Paddy, was still in this or this uh, kind of jeep and I was on the back of the jeep it was like it was like a small Pope mobile if you've ever seen the Pope mobile right and I said what are we doing I don't know what do you mean you don't know I says I said now he was a private so I had rank on him as well so I said what do you mean you don't know they told me to clutch it at the gate and drive it up to the square and what do I do I don't know Mick he says uh, yeah need you you know so all of a sudden he knocks me out he, he gets me onto the parade I just, I'm probably going to have to march on here, I said. You know? So I marched onto the square and I went straight up to the commanding officer and saluted him. He saluted me, said a few words. He says, will you say a few words to the rest of the, to the ranks? Of oh, God. And I had nothing prepared. But it's amazing that, you know, when you lose as well, people slag you like crazy. All right. And there was a certain fellow there called a fellow called Pat Jordan. He was uh, in my, he trained with me as a recruit. We'd done our NCOs course together. And he had, for four years, I had to listen to Swede, 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 because I got beaten by the Swede in Seoul. 
And now they thought I was going to kill him. I swear to God. You know? And lo and behold, four years listening to this. So it, as I was marching on, I seen Jordy in oil, in in the ranks, in air company. You know? So I got up and I said, don't the usual, you know, sort of all the, the dignitaries you have to do. And I said, can I ask a question? And they go, yeah. I said, is Corporal Jordan in ranks today? And then Sergeant Major goes, Jordan, front and centre, right? So he marches Jordy up to me. I said, stand in front of me, you. I said, and then he was at ease. And I said, get up to attention when you're talking to a sergeant. I said to him, they're up. Because he was a corporal, right? It was just one rank below. And it was my first time I, I, I abused my authority, right? So I said, all to attention. And he's looking at me, go, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. Actually, Paul, come here. God, I said, stop on it easy. I said, come over here to me with the other side of the phone. I said, the other side of the mic, I said, come over here and we'll have a talk. I mean, don't do this. Don't do this, please. He says, yeah. I said, Jordy, tell them for four years. What did you used to say to me every day? And Mick, he says, tell them I used to go Swede. Why did you go Swede? Because the Swedish guy beat you in the, in the Olympics in 1988, he says. And every day, and sometimes probably 10 times a day, will it be majority? He says, yeah. And just pull me gold medal out of the heavy pocket, right? I'm not going to ever hear sweet again. No way, mate. No way. <laughs> Fall back in your asshole. <laughs> and the crack we had then in the bags was unreal. You know, we had a great party. And again, and it was, again, it was another moment that all of a sudden you wouldn't have, you know, you wouldn't get away with, you know, because I got away with certain things, even on that speech I was doing, you know, and uh, you'd never normally get away with it, you know what I mean? Because, uh, they rifled it, you know what I mean? And then we, uh, my mate Paddy was, you know, a good pal of mine. He says to me, uh, this is only about, we're only home about three or four days from Barcelona at this because there was just craziness. You're going everywhere. And he says, what are you doing? I says, you're bringing me up to your house. Me and Paul are going up to your house. He lives in Wicklow. And he says, right, and we're going to go up to your house. And so far, we're going to spend a day or two up at your house, I said. End the story. He said, Mick. He says, well, they know down in Wicklow you're one of the races. <laughs> so I, said, no, I know that, I said. No, you big I said, so of course, we were having a few drinks and he said, come on, we we'll get down to the pub. We had a few drinks in the house. He said, Mick, you're mad. I said, come on, we we'll get down to the pub. Jesus, worst thing I ever done. You know what I mean? Because everybody and their brother wanted a pizza. You know what I mean? And we went into the nightclub later on that night again and it was the second worst thing I ever done in my life. You know what I mean? Because people want to just come off and shake your hands and, just been gently you get it, you know. There's Michael Carruth, you know what I mean? But uh, again, that's fine. That's as they say, it's if it gets you easily enough, then afterwards, you know what I mean? But it's the thing that you know will save us forever and never get, you know. Yeah, so I suppose it's, it's it's there's worse things in the world, I suppose, that, that could happen than you win an Olympic gold medal and suddenly you're hit with the fame. Yeah, of course it is. And like, like I lost a seven-year-old nephew. He drowned in Blessing Lakes in 1989. And if people give me the option of either either what I'd want, I know what I'd want. I'd want him back in fact me a little bit ago now. You know what I mean? And that's the bottom line. So, you know, family's always forced. And, and you know, I come from a great family. I've four sisters and five brothers. 
mum and dad are gone now over the last couple of years, you know, but you know, we all meet up at Christmas. All of us and all their grandchildren and great grandchildren now it's it's blossoming into a huge, huge family. And uh, it's you know, again, I, I think my father would be immensely proud of us that he had ten children and on him dying, his ten kids were married and all still married, you know. It's a, a huge thing now in this day and age, you know, and it, it's one of his most proudest moments. It's not his proudest moment. That's 10 children married and all still married, you know, and uh, I wish the seven were married in my family, you know. So it's, you know, you think about it, and I'm 28, nine, nine years married. So it's, uh, again, it's truly an ounce of breeding is worth a ton of feeding. So, yeah, and that's what it was. And do you think then that, that like you, I suppose you've mentioned a couple of times already, even that the, the army offered you, it gave you great discipline, which went hand in hand with, with your boxing career? Yeah, it was. And of course it was. It's, it's, you know, if you don't put the work in boxing, you, you don't get the results. It's that simple. You know what I mean? And I put the work in. And I and as I said to you earlier on there, I said, you know, once I put the work in, the physicality work, that I, I, I could not be better and I got my weight right. And this all stems through, you know, army discipline as well. You know, it really does. And I always remember my first day in the army and this fella screaming in my ear, right? And I won't tell you his name, okay? But I said to myself, his voice is going to go before my hearing, I said, right? Because if he keeps shouting like that, he's not going to be able to talk in the morning, right? And he kept, ar, 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 give the laws, right? My hearing was still okay. And he was like, next ah, yeah, I couldn't talk, you know. But again, he was trying to discipline us, you know. So with that, yeah, boxing was a huge part. And joining the army was an even huger part for my career because, again, it gave me that stability that I had a few quid in the pocket. It gave me any amount of training that I wanted to do on my own in the club or in the army. I got to do my two training sessions a day most days where I could train in the army and then go to the gym boxing club that night, you know. I could do runs or I could do different things as well. Um, great amount of friends as well. Like, it was a great honour for the 2nd Battalion to get the Olympic champion, you know, and 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 put it to every other battalion. And what have you got? We won the Olympics, you know. And, it's you know, it's again, it's a, it's a role of honour, you know, in that sense of the words, you know. But the, the army was a huge part of me when the Olympic Games, they really were. Yeah. Do you have, do you look back with any regret on how your, your pro career went, considering, you know, you had such a... Yeah, a yeah I do. I probably shouldn't have signed with Frank Warren. Um, because he had a little fella called Nas and he didn't care about anybody else, you know. Um, I should have probably gone to that fella in Louisiana. Or, uh Jimmy Moyler was his name, or Wheeler, sorry, was his name. And he, I would have been his first pro signing. And he would have put everything into it, you know. And I think it would have been more discipline away from home as well. Because when you get home, you, you, can, you fall into the same old traits, you know, in between fights and things like that. If I was in America training, I wouldn't have got into that thing. I didn't take it serious enough sometimes as well, the professional game. I boxed against Michael Lowy from um, Germany for the world title out in Germany. And I've no question I won the fight. There's no question I won it. But they gave it to him, you know. And that's boxing for you. And, and that really burst my bubble. And I said, fuck this. And I don't want this anymore, you know. I went another year or two. And 
it's it's a rough game in a sense that you know you have to you have to sell the seats and you have to get bums on seats and you know it's it's an industry and let's be honest that's what it is it's it's not really about boxing or anything like that amateur boxing is always my first love I always will be you know what I mean professional boxing I don't know I got a few quid I don't okay out of it um, I probably could have done better but I didn't so there's no point in harping on about it you know but um, I met a few nice friends in the in the professional game got to see nice places boxed in nice places boxing the MGM Grant in Las Vegas you know so boxing England Wembley places like that so it was you know it was what it was but like I really I really could have done a lot better if I really wanted it I think and I was, it was all down to me you know I was a long time boxing and you know I had my first I had my first pro fight uh, I was only my 14th pro fight for a world championship you know so think of it that way you know so again I felt I won the fight but one or two judges didn't you know so yeah, I suppose that's it with the Olympic gold medal. It can be a, a blessing or a curse to some degree when you get into the into the professionals. Yeah. With the professional as well, that's you know, it's like I was fighting a guy from Germany in Germany on his first defence. You know, how many people really lose yeah. their first defence? And I, I said to Frank Warren, this is a very risky job. Oh come on, you're good enough, you're gonna win it. I said, I'll win it, but they mightn't give it to me. I said. And that's exactly what happens. He never boxed again after that fight. I retired him. So that'll tell yeah. you, you know. So he knows he's beaten, you know. So and I did. I need to took him out in the eleventh round, you know. And uh, I gave him an awful hard time in that fight, and he never boxed again. So that's my answer to that. Should I become world champion? Yes, I should have. Yeah. So and then I kind of lost all hard for it. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. So what do you make of then, because obviously recently, I don't know if it was, I'm not totally sure it was in for the last Olympics, of professionals being able to enter into the Olympics. What's your kind of take on, on that? Well, crap. Uh, it really is. Yeah, it really is, because it's, you know, to be honest, I, I would like to think I'd like to get a professional in the, the amateur game. There's over three rounds I'd beat anybody. Right? Professionals don't really start getting down to the fourth and fifth round. You know, they're too one paced and the things like that. So if you got a pro, yeah, I'd be happy with it. You know, okay, you don't want the sh- you don't want the Mosleys or the you know the you know the the, the big name sports. Most of the, the pros who went into back into the amateur, uh, well, the Olympics probably failed the first time as a. I never got to an Olympics. You know, so I think it was a stupid rule. I really do. Pro, pros are pros, amateurs are amateurs. That's a simple game. I don't think the basketball team should have been let, let in either. I don't think the golfers should be let in either. They're not. They're not amateurs. They're professional. Uh, Olympic Games is all about amateur sports people. You know. So and you're looking at Justin Rose becoming an Olympic champion. Really, you know what I mean? He's won, like he's won a couple of majors and what have you. But does he class that as one of his biggest prizes? I don't know. So, but I don't believe that it should be there. You know, it's an amateur sport. It should be an amateur sport in all sports. They had the dream team there, like the the American basketball team. You know, Michael Jordan's and go on. You can name a few more. I don't know them, but the bottom line is, no, boxers would not go in. Professional boxers like the Manny Pacquiao's or the Mosley's because they know they could be beaten over three rounds for I mean, if I by a really good amateur. And remember, there's a lot of politics in boxing as well 
Like if you're fighting a Russian and all of a sudden you could have Uzbekistan Georgia or uh, you know Georgian Georgia or uh, you know Lithuanian Georgia, three of them there are all comrades of, of yesteryear. You know what I mean? And you're not getting them, man. You're gonna have to knock them out to get a draw. You know what I mean? So uh, <laughs> with the, I, I thought it was a stupid rule letting professional boxing or professional people into the Olympic Games. You know, I still do. So. And that goal, and I'm a huge golf fan, and a golfer, and I, I just no, it shouldn't, shouldn't be allowed. Yeah, like you said, there's like amateur boxing for me. The it's kind of for me. I think it's pure boxing. Like, you know, it's it's pure competition. It's pure. It's just about it's just about fighting. There's no there's nothing about the you know there's no there's, there's no entertainment necessarily. That's great entertainment, as you you saying, yeah. but there's never a real favorite favorite on a win at it. You know. Anything can happen in amateur boxing. Right? I proved that 28 years ago. I beat Juan Hernandez Sierra from Cuba. He was twice world champion. He won everything. Put the lot on that fella, you know? And, you know, I made a fairy tale come true. But, like, if you're fighting a Shane Mosley or you're fighting a, you know, Floyd Mayweather or, a, you know, guys like that, like, they had that chance to become the Olympic champions and didn't get it, you know? They should not let the pros into the amateur game. Well, I mean, he left the amateurs back into the program. That's the way it works. But definitely doesn't work the other way around. You know? And to be honest, like, what main boxer would go back in? Like, look at the caliber of professionals who have gone into the Olympic Games. You didn't see all any of the good ones. You know what I mean? So and that's what I'm like. If they know over three rounds, we'll get a beat. You know? And they're not going to not going to look like Egypt's, you know, so um, and it's not going to up the ratings and it's not going to do anything like that because people who like boxing, amateur boxing, will watch amateur boxing. It's like anything in the Olympics. I watch bloody everything in the Olympics. Synchronized swimming, I watch absolutely everything. I'm sports nut, you know what I mean? And watch the dive and I watch everything. You know what I mean, so it's uh, it's just one of those things, you know what I mean? But I don't think, I think they got a bit stupid thinking that was going to improve the ratings and, and it didn't, you know. Like you said, but even like you said, like every four years it gets a it gets showcased. Like amateur, bo- like some people don't only watch amateur boxing for the Olympics. So then, like you know, yeah. they only watch it then. So to have frozen, it's not it's not why people are watching anyway. People are there to watch. They want to watch the amateurs. I think we've had a good run over over the last couple of years. You know, we you know winning medals and constantly winning medals, and it's you know it's a, a tribute to our our own home coaches as well not just the high-performance coaches. Uh, you know, people are buying into the fact that, like, this, as a, as a youngster, like, Olympic champions had been made when, when they started boxing. They're born into it and bred into it and years and years of commitment and, and work, and that's the way it works, you know? And that goes with the coaches as well, you know, that, like, giving them the right information, like, giving them the right facts, you know, they're bringing them on trips around the countries and, things like that, and they're getting them spars, and they're getting them this, that, and the other. And that's the way it works. And I believe we will have another Olympic champion pretty soon. I don't know if it'll be a boy or it'll be a girl. But I think, you know, what's coming up now in the next couple of years is even better than what we had, you know. And I'm hopefully I'm proven right in this. And I'm being fortunate enough to become the first ever Olympic champion in boxing. I said I don't want to be the last. You know, I know we had Katie Taylor there, she won the girls. You know, I mean it as well with the boys. I don't want to be the last. I want another Olympic champion from boxing. 
You know, I want another 10 before I go off. You know what I mean? Because we have the caliber, we have the guts, we have everything that we need to, to win Olympic Games. I showed you, we all, we done it. I done it 28 years ago. Katie done it many years now or her. Eight years ago now or you know? So the bottom line with that is, we need to start, you know, getting lads qualified. You, you asked the question about qualifications as well. I always feel the qualification is harder than actually the Olympic Games, believe it or not, you know, because all the pressure is getting there, you know, and if you mess up or you slip up in any way, you're gone, you know, and Kenneth Egan had a conversation with me only recently about that, about him, you know, eight, ten times national champion, but never go to the Olympics, and he qualified, and he rang me and thanked me because where I am in this room here, he was sitting over there. And I told him to close his eyes and I says, visualize the fight now. I said, the fight's over to qualify for the Olympics. The fight's over. And I said to him, you just lost. And he opened his eyes because he wanted the better results. Right? And he says, what's mean I just lost? Imagine you just lost. Who cares if you've got 10 national titles? you never become an Olympian. I says, and lo and behold, he went and qualified in that, that, that Olympic qualifier. And he gave me a phone call back. He says, I said, I close your eyes, mate, but I tell you what, I came out the other side. And he said, it's a good lad, I said. <laughs> and qualified. You know? And he went on a silver medal. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's one of those type of things. You know, like it's, it's crazy in its own way. But I think sometimes the qualifiers are harder than the, than the Olympics. You know? so, and that might sound crazy to you. you know? But there's no pressure on you. There's no pressure on any of our boxers going in there to win a medal. You know what I mean? They want to win medals, don't get me wrong, but there's no pressure on them there. But maybe there is over the last couple of years where I was winning in Beijing and winning in London. Uh, we didn't do anything in Rio. It was a poor, poor games for us, but I think we bounced back. I think we bounced back and we're hoping Tokyo now will be 2021 and that this thing goes away and we, we can get back to normality. And the girls, as I said, hold a better chance, I think, of winning medals. And I'm not being bad to the boys, but I believe the caliber we have in the girls is really, really strong with the girls we have. And particularly with Kelly. Kelly and she's world champion. You got Michaela Walsh, she's, she's your Commonwealth champion. You got, you know, some really good ones out there, you know, and they're going to be knocking on the door. They want to become Olympians, these lot, you know. So it's, um, Hopefully we get the, the qualifiers now back after Christmas and Tokyo goes ahead in July in 2021. And, you know, we keep our tradition going. I, I want boxing. I want boxing to win medals. I want other sports to win medals as well. I'm Irish. I said, I want everyone, you know, trying to win medals for Ireland. But I'm, I'm a realist as well. I know what they're up against. But I want boxing back on that pedestal because we got a bit of a slag in the last time because we didn't win. You know, someone said it was our worst Olympic Games. No, it wasn't. I'm sure we went to Olympic Games and we didn't even win a fight. You know, you go back to the records, you know. So um, we went to Seoul Olympics. You had Wayne McCullough on the team. You had Michael Crew on the team. You had Joe Lawler on the team. You had Roy Nett. You had Harvest Sherald on the team. You had Billy Walsh on the team. You had Kieran Joyce on the team. You put that team against any team in Irish history and we'd win. Right, and I'm not being bad here, we would win, and we won nothing, yeah. you know. So, we won a couple of fights. One of us, we not nearly all of us won a fight each, but uh, they're saying they're saying, uh, 
Rio was our worst Olympics. It wasn't. No. And, and what I'm saying is they won fights. Like, uh, once a day, won a fight. Paddy Barnes won a uh, Paddy didn't win one. Um, what's his name from the north? Uh, Donnie won a fight, won one or two fights, and then got beat. Um, Joe Ward was unfortunate to get two public warnings in the fight. You know, Katie Taylor killed Joe Ward and didn't win. Right? He killed her. Michael Conlon was corrupt. It's just, and that's the horrible thing. And, and that's where, again, where the Russians come into it, you know, because the Russians said the night before he's not going to win. Yeah. Because they got to the Jews. So, and something has to be done about that, you know. So, uh, Michael, Michael's fight was a tight fight. But when your man can't fight the next fight, it shows what he done to him as well, you know. So it's, and unfortunately, you know, he, he I still don't think he would have beat Ramirez from uh, from Cuba. He might have said, Oh, I'll let him get last make, but I just I think he's too he's too good. You know, I think he just he has everybody's number and he he's had to win in two Olympic games in nineteen twenty, you know. That's just showing off, isn't it? You know? Yeah. So uh so with that, you know, again you can everything can argue the fact, but um I'm hoping obviously Kelly can qualify. We've got young air and I'm not greedy. I think if we could get six boxes there, we could come back with medals. You know, kind of like eight, but six would be. I'd be happy enough with six. You know, and if we can get that numbers, I think we can come back with a medal or two again. Yeah, and yeah. we put our, we put boxing amateur boxing back on the pedestal where we belong. Number one. Yeah. yeah. I, th- I think even like when you think about when you're talking about Michael Conlon here, he even got to show when in the. When he fought Nicotin again in the professionals, he got to really show like the the difference in class there. I know like it maybe doesn't make up for not winning the gold, but you know he got to show that he was the better fighter. Yeah, absolutely. And you know we were told the night before, like when we were looking at the we were looking at the fight of the um, the Cuban or the Russian fight. I think he was fighting a Puerto Rican boxer. His first fight, and he never won that fight either. And we were kind of hoping to get the Russian. Because we felt the Russian was weaker linked than the Puerto Rican was. And then all of a sudden we did get the queue and we got the the what we wanted. You know, we were in the in the studios in RTA, me, Paul, I mean Bernard Dawn and um who else? I think Andy Lee was on the on the one as well. And we were saying, Who'd you hope to get? Said, the, the Russian. Because the Puerto Rican is very good. And uh, Puerto Rican knocked years off him and didn't get the fight. And then all of a sudden, the same things happens the second fight again. And it's it's one of those things. But, you know, what happened afterwards, you can't blame him. And you can, because he should have been disciplined enough as well. His father was behind him as well. Uh, so he should have just, here, you'll do an interview, 10 minutes time, let us kill down. Go into the dressing room, kick the crap out of whatever you did. Or anything that's in the dressing room, you know. And yeah. provided it's not any of your other teammates, you know. And, uh and Kyoto sat down and then go do your interview. We should not have done that interview straight out that way. As as well as as, as Katie. She shouldn't have as well. Yeah. You know? Because if I was a coach there, I would have just moved them on. We'd be back in five minutes. You know. I'm gonna kick a wall in, you know, if I do something, you know. And uh unfortunately that's the way it is. But as I said, people saying it's our worst Olympics talking crap. You know, we won fights. So Yeah. I think even like 2004 at the Olympics, the, the, how many boxers were sent in then? Like, was Andy Lee the only boxer who went? I thought he was. Yeah, Andy, yeah, Andy, yeah. So. he went one fight. Yeah. Or did he win a fight? Michael Roach went in 2000, did he? Mm. Sydney, was that Sydney? I think Michael Roach was the only one that qualified from Cork. 
don't think you want to fight. Um, and people are coming on. And see, what it is as well, people people have opinions. We, we live in this world, me and you are talking to one another in, in this new world of ours, you know what I mean? But, you know, people who don't know the game of boxing, you know, I think they become experts because they watch boxing, you know? And unfortunately with Katie, Katie's fight was, I had her winning three to four rounds. And just about, oh, they even gave a draw to one that they say she lost, you know? Um, Michael Collins to say was, Hijacked. Joe Ward was hijacked. Joe Ward got two public warnings. Now, public warnings are really only given out to really novice boxers. You know what I mean? Because they don't know the rules and they don't know they're not um, experienced enough. You know, for holding and things like that. But they get two public warnings in the Olympic Games. You know, and it's like Man United again in Liverpool. If the referee gives a penalty to Liverpool, you more than likely give one to Man United as well. And that's what public warnings are like as well. It was a horrible, horrible fight. I think he boxed a Colombian there. I can't remember. Joe Warsaw. And your man was just awkward. Well, he deserved as much public warnings as Joe did. And Joe gets two public warnings in the games. Crazy, you know? Absolutely crazy, you know? But again, you just have to live with it and get on with it. We were told the night before, Conor was not going to win the fight from a Russian source, you know? So they got to the judges, and they do. That's what they do, and they should be torched out of amateur boxing. Yeah, and so like, would you say then that the goal is to have an Olympic champion out of out of Trimla to, uh, to train an Olympic champion yourself? That would be the, that would be my goal. Like my, my father has won. I said, "Not so great." I'm gonna get two. That's me. I'm competitive. I still am. Yeah, um, we're doing very well at the moment. We uh, last year we won the club of the year award. Uh, with 16 national titles, that's in all grades. Um, so we're, you know, we've got a, a great little thing going in the club as well. We've a lot of coaches, 11 coaches. It's all on voluntary basis. You know, we've got, we brought it back. We brought it back the way we used to be. Like we train hard and we fight easy. You know, but there's two kids in particular there, three kids, or I'm gonna call that will be probably potential Olympic gold medalists. And I'm not messing with you. It's going to be two of them are brothers. You've got Martin and Jamie Collins, the two traveling lads. Okay. You've got a young lad called Alan Kyo. His nickname is Costa Kyo. Unreal. But the one that you really have to is Paul Griffin's nephew. His name is Kai Griffin. And Kai is the best juvenile I've ever seen. Ever. And if he continues the way he's going, He's going to get that medal that his uncle didn't in the Olympic Games. You know, he's going to be that good. You know, and he is that good. You know, he's absolutely sublime. I've never seen anybody like him. You know, and he trains hard. He's not a cheat. He works hard, and his, his father is coaching the club as well in Drimna. So those four names from Drimna would be very hopeful. You know, again. We have a lot of good girls as well in the club as well, so you're hoping they'll advance as well. But listen, if I can get one or two of them to the Olympic Games, it would be great for us again. And a great honour for the club. And hope you could add to the medal tally. And obviously the numbers that have represented Drimnet at Olympic Games. We've had three boxers now qualified for the Olympic Games. Paul Griffin, Philip Sutliff and myself. You know, So 
there's not too many can say that they had three different boxers from going to Olympic Games. You know, Mick Dowling was as well. Mick came to Dublin again to tuna at a later stage, so we don't really count him as a tuna boxer you know, in in the Olympic Games because he boxed for another club, uh, and then he came to us. You know, so but um, yeah, we can get any of those four, and that's as if the Olympic Games are still going on. You know, we just don't know where we're going to be now in the next twenty years, or so. It's going to be it's going to be one of those things. Yeah, especially with the if the as you said the Russians and the corruption doesn't doesn't isn't gotten rid of. Yeah, and it doesn't help, and, and and that doesn't just even apply to you know boxing. I'm sure all other sports hate them, you know, in that regard. Yeah, you know? I know hate is a horrible word, and I don't like using that word. Yeah, but you know, we went to a training camp in Germany in 1992. The place called Coppels, okay, and this college team from Russia came in, and because we had all Adidas tops and short yellow like. They were still kind of in that communist era, you know, and they wanted the Adidas top T-shirts and they were offering us anabolic steroids for it. This is a college team. And Paul Griffin took a sample of it, of the one, didn't put it into him. He took it and brought it home. And we gave it to the, the, the lab when we came home and it was a full anabolic steroid. And this was a college team from Russia. So could you imagine what the rest of them were on? You know what I mean? So, and that'll tell you what exactly what they are, you know, cheats. Yeah, and that was so, back then. Like, it's not like science has been done, and you know, t-shirt. He wanted a t-shirt, an Adidas t-shirt, and he gave us an anabolic steroid. You know, you know, unbelievable. That's, yeah. I brought home and got tested in Blackrock Clinic, and it was a full anabolic steroid. So, steroids don't do anything to boxers because what happens with anabolic steroid gets your heartbeat up. We do three minutes fighting, and then all of a sudden we're brought back to a corner and we bring it all back down. And then we go again, and we bring it back down again, and then we go again. So it wouldn't help us. It doesn't help you avoid a punch any quicker. It doesn't help you when you get one on the chin and you can take it better. You know what I mean? So it's, you never see boxers fail in drug tests, you know, really. Yeah. But this was a back team from, from Russia somewhere. You know what I mean? But that'll show you, doesn't it? But that was back in 1992. Yeah, but I suppose so, you have the benefit with the, I suppose with the anabolic, you have the the benefit of, of a during your training camp that you know obviously if you yeah. helps you recover, you can train harder for longer, all this sort of stuff. So I suppose it has a benefit there, but maybe not so much in the ring. We didn't use it because we we were in a great training facility there in in Germany, and it's not it's not air pack, it's not in our nature to cheat. You know, the only way you cheat in boxing is you don't train. That's the only cheat you do in boxing, you know. So if you don't train, you're gonna get caught out. You know, and that's the bottom line. So yeah. So just one more question before we kind of finish up is, uh, if you ha- if you had to pick uh, a favorite fighter of all time, who would you pick? The fighter to, to be the favorite fighter. You know? yeah. My favorite fighter is in the professional is Marvin Hagler. Right? I love him. Marvin's Marvin Hagler. I love his style. I love that he was a southpaw. I love the, you know, he beat Sugar Ray, and I don't care what anybody says, right? One I, th- I think so too. I watched it three times without, without coverage, yeah? and that was hard to do. Um, Hagler to me was always, the, you know, a great, great boxer, you know. I loved, you know, I loved Ray Leonard. He was a great fighter. Um, amateur wise, probably my favorite amateur boxer would have been, what? 
Jeez, hell, and then I was to go amateur. Um, she always had so many great ones, you know. Um, I'm not going to give it to them, you know, because they had too many. Um, Paul Griffin. Paul Griffin was one of my the best I've ever seen as an amateur, you know. Technical-wise, skill-wise, hit like a welterweight as a featherweight, you know. Uh, got unlucky in his Olympic Games in, in 92. But Griff was, Griff was unbelievable. Uh, as a southpaw, as a technical boxer, you know, like there's nobody be him. He won the European Championships when he was 19 years old, you know, in Sweden against the Russian, you know. So Griff was one of my favorite fighters, you know, I could say him. You, you can name all the big names out there if you wanted, but Hagler to me loved him, absolutely loved him. Uh, and when he beat Minter, when he beat Minter in London, they didn't give him, they didn't give him that giant time to, to celebrate. He threw bottles at him and Everything else, and you know, because they said he was hitting them with the head, and the whole that's what happens in boxing, get over it, you know. So, uh, well, how got to me was the best of all. Yeah. I met Roberto Plan a few years ago, you know, and uh, he came over to me and shook hands with me, you know, what's going on here, you know, and uh, he said, Barcelona, and I said, Yeah, Hernandez, I said, Yeah, good fight. He says to me, you Holy moly, Roberto Duran is saying that to me, you know. And I said, I love Hagler. We all love Hagler. <laughs> so that was a great fight. Oh, yeah, Hagler was definitely, well, I've watched a good lot of his fights back. He's one of my favourites, like I said, yeah, so far. Yeah. Tough as nails. The fight with the, another, the fight with Hearns, unbelievable. And so, yeah, eight, a great fight. It was eight minutes and eight, wasn't it? It was, it was describing us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, when you look at that era, 19, that era of what they had there, you had Ray Leonard, you had Thomas de Guan, yeah, you had Roberto Duran, you had Hagler, you had the Beast McGabby. You know? mm. My God, the, the, the five of them, imagine having that now, this day and age. You know? yeah. What money you, you'd be paid to watch them. You know? it would, it, phenomenal. Uh, and Hagler had to be the best of, of the five of them. You know? Leonard, okay, got us got the comeuppance and got the win, but nah, I think without question, Hagler was the best of the five of them. Yeah, I think so. All right, I think uh, I, I think we'll uh, I think we'll leave it there. It's uh, thanks a million for coming yeah. on. I really appreciate it. I've really enjoyed hearing uh-huh. the, hearing the stories. Um, uh, it's been great. Do a lot of editing there now. Make sure my hair is all done right. I'll try and work like some me. magic. It's looking good. <laughs> but uh, yeah, thanks a million for coming on. Hopefully, I'll get back in the gym uh, fairly soon, like and get back to normal. And uh, please, absolutely, and stay safe. Okay. Yeah, you too. All the best. Thanks, Jeremy. All the best. Take care.